Proverbs 27, verse 18. Let's jump right in. He who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who cares for his master will be honored. Again, he who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who cares for his master will be honored. Father, we pray this morning that you would show us how to tend to the fig tree and how to care about the things you care about. We pray, Father, you would turn our attention once again to your people Israel. Lord, a a subject, a topic that we have covered many times, and yet your word has much to say. And I believe, Father, that your plan is in play, that you are still at work, and that you have not forgotten your promises to this people. I ask, Lord, that you would turn our hearts uh, toward Jerusalem, toward Israel, And toward the people of your choosing at the first, uh, that we might, Lord, share in the fruitfulness of that people and find our lives pleasing to our Master. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I think Winnie the Pooh got it right. When he sang, Oh, the wind is lashing lustily, and the trees are thrashing thrustily, and the leaves are rustling gustily. So it is rather safe to say that it seems that it may turn out to be, feels that it will undoubtedly looks like a rather blustery day today. I ought to know the words to that song. I've got two youngins. That's from Sherman and Sherman's song, Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. It's the hum for a blustery day. You might wonder, Rick, what in the world are you talking about here? Our nation is shaken. We as a nation are in the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. And nearly half of all Americans believe that we are headed into another Great Depression. Our gross domestic product increased at a meager 1.3% in the first quarter of 2011, advancing the U.S. economy not at the previously reported 1.9% gain, but at a paltry 0.4%. Consumer spending came in this last quarter at 0.1%. Unemployment remains, as you know, over 9%. Housing foreclosures are through the roof, no pun intended. Enormous amounts of money have simply dissipated, evaporated due to the depressed housing prices and the volatility of the stock market, which was down 500 points this week. We'll see how it opens tomorrow. Meanwhile, our government is still talking about spending our way out. That that's even on the table is remarkable to me. Last year's budget deficit. This is deficit. This is money beyond what is taken in in terms of revenue. The deficit last year topped $1.3 trillion. And this year it's projected to be as much as $1.5 trillion. Pure debt. And if you've been watching the news and paying attention, and the reason I'm bringing all this up is some believe Tuesday... August 2nd is D-Day for America. That is default day. The day when, for the first time in our country's history, we are unable to pay our bills. Is that the case? Is that what will happen? Well, that depends. A lot is riding on it. Standard & Poor's may drop our rating. Our AAA credit rating may get dropped down, which would affect every single one of us. And we're watching all these things and just wondering, what is going on here? Now, perhaps for some of you, those numbers have already caused you to drift off a little bit. Here's the bottom line. Here's the reason I bring it up. This great nation is experiencing a time of tremendous shaking. The wind is lashing lustily. The trees are thrashing thrustily. The leaves are rustling gustily. But it's not just a blustery day in America. Around the world... Trees, as in a storm, nations are shaking. And I watch these things with great curiosity. We're only halfway into this year, and so far, halfway in, Japan, we saw shaken by that massive earthquake and devastating tsunami. Egypt, Syria, Tunisia, and Yemen are shaking by civil uprisings and unrest. 
Another 89, 90 people killed yesterday in Syria as the government tries to put down the uprising there. Libya continues to be embroiled in civil war. That hasn't been talked about much lately, but it's still going on. Greece in a debt crisis that is shaking the European Union and world markets. And have we forgotten that at the beginning of this year there was a great pro-democracy movement in Iran that was crushed by an insane government? A government that some believe will have functional nuclear weapons in three to four months. And how about quiet little Norway? And who could have imagined what would open up there, the sheer evil of a man who would take it on himself to simultaneously blow up a government building and then massacre children at an island youth camp? Joel Rosenberg, in his flash traffic blog on Wednesday, asked the right question. What if all these events are not random? What if all that's going on here, what if the God of the Bible is lifting His covering, allowing these things to happen to shake us? He said through the prophet Haggai in chapter 2, verse 6, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also, and the dry land, I will shake all the nations, and they will come to the wealth of all the nations, and I will fill this house, speaking of His temple in Jerusalem, I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. And perhaps we have for too long been so involved in tending our own interests that we have begun to forget the Master's concerns. As the proverb advises, it is wisdom to care for the master. It is wisdom to care about what the master cares about, to tend to the master's concerns. He who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who cares for his master will be honored. And among all the trees of the world, listen to me, God cares about the fig tree. He elevates the fig tree. He is concerned for the fig tree. The fig tree? Yes, you Bible students know that throughout Scripture, the fig tree is emblematic of Israel. Wait a minute, Rick. You you don't think this all has to do with, with Israel, do you? I believe it has to do with a world that does not care about what the Master cares about. And at the top of that list, yes, is Israel. Two Sundays ago... I mentioned five things of which Paul said the church should not be ignorant. Five things about which, unfortunately, there is a great deal of ignorance in the church today. The rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, Paul said, I do not want you to be ignorant of this. Spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 1. Don't be ignorant of this. Satan's schemes, the way he functions in spiritual warfare, 2 Corinthians 2, 10-11. Don't be ignorant of this. Biblical typology, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. That is, Old Testament pictures revealed in New Testament truths, like the fig tree. In fact, exactly what we're talking about this morning, the fig tree is a picture of Israel, is biblical typology. And Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware of these things. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. And the fifth thing on the list is God's working with Israel. Paul wrote in Romans 11.25, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion, and He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. At the center of the shaking of the trees in this forest of nations is the little fig tree. That little country roughly the size of New Jersey is right at the middle of all of this. What's interesting to me in thinking about the fig tree is it is mentioned, it is a prime character, a symbol in the first parable ever told that we have in Scripture. The first parable. Turn in your Bibles back to Judges chapter 9. Keep your fingers flexible. Judges chapter 9. Background to the parable. Gideon is dead. 
You remember Gideon who with 300 men took on the Midianites and and destroyed them by the power of God. An amazing, wonderful story. Gideon who is such a a searcher in his own life for the Lord and, and following after the Lord and for a while had some moments of great faith. But ends his life falling into idolatry. And he has a number of sons, 70 or so by his wives and several by concubines, part of the falling. And his son by a concubine, a son by the name of Abimelech, takes it upon himself to seek a power grab in Israel. He gets a group of henchmen, grabs hold of all 70 of of Gideon's sons, takes them to a stone and beheads them all. And after killing these 70, sets himself up as king, or at least as, as the one in charge. But Yotham, the youngest son of Gideon, survived. And he is where our story picks up. Judges chapter 9, verse 6. All the men of Shechem and all of Beth Milo assembled together. And they went and they made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar which was in Shechem. Now when they told Yotham, he went and stood at the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted his voice and called out. And thus he said to them, Listen to me, O men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Once the trees went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us! But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my fatness with which God and men are honored and go to wave over the trees? And then the tree said to the fig tree, You come, reign over us! But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go to wave over the trees? And then the tree said to the vine, You! Come reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my new wine, which cheers God and men, and go to wave over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the bramble, You come, reign over us. The bramble said to the trees, If in truth you are anointing me as king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, may fire come out from the bramble and consume the very cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore... If you have dealt in truth and integrity in making Abimelech king, if you have dealt well with Jerubal and his house, Jerubal is another name for Gideon, and have dealt with him as he deserved. For my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian. But you have risen against my father's house today and have killed his son, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem, because he's your relative." If then you have dealt in truth and integrity with Jerubal as his house this day, rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. Let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and consume Abimelech. And then Yotham escaped and fled and went to Beer, and he remained there because of Abimelech, his brother. Interesting parable. In the parable, Yotham is calling Abimelech a bramble. He's saying of all the possible leaders you could choose, this guy is nothing but a bramble. He catches fire easily and you're going to get burned. And because you made this choice, you should get burned and Abimelech should as well be burned. And within three years, Abimelech was dead at the hands of the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And... God judged them and they fell apart. In fact, if you look down in verse 57 of the same chapter, God returned all the wickedness of the men of Shechem on their heads. And the curse of Yotham, the son of Jerubal, came upon them. This first parable in Scripture is prophetic in nature. And it speaks of Israel in some amazing ways. Verses 12 and 13, which read... The tree said to the vine, You, come reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my new wine, which cheers God and men, and go to wave over the trees? The vine. The vine speaks in Scripture of the spiritual privileges of Israel. Psalm 80, verse 8 and 9. We looked at this several months ago. It's called the Psalm of the Vineyard. And in this psalm we read, You removed a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground before it and it took deep root and filled the land. The vine. Spiritual Israel. Verses 8 and 9, back in Judges chapter 9, speaks of the olive tree. 
where the trees of the nations went and said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my fatness with which God and men are honored and go wave over the trees? The olive tree, speaking of the religious, the religious privileges of Israel. The religious privileges. Because of the olive tree and the olive oil that that feeds the lamp in the temple, that keeps it burning, that oil that's used, it's a picture also, you know, of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 11, verse 17, Paul talks about Israel as the olive tree. If some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them, you Christians, you and I, and become partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. We have come from, we exist, we have faith in God because we are rooted in the original olive tree and that is Israel. But back in the parable, verses 10 and 11, the tree said to the fig tree, you come reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go to wave over the trees? The fig tree, which speaks of the national privileges of Israel. Israel is a nation. Hosea chapter 9 verse 10 says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your forefathers as the earliest fruit on the fig tree in its first season. Three trees, the vine, the olive, and the fig, all that portray Israel, spiritually the vine, religiously the olive, nationally the fig tree. And what's interesting is as the trees of the nations come to these three trees and they cry out, reign over us, notice that the tree is reluctant. The olive tree doesn't want to reign over the nations. The fig tree will not take its rightful place in ruling. The vine backs away from the opportunity to be a light to the world, which is exactly what's happened in history. God called Israel to be the tree that the world would look to. God invited Israel as His chosen people from the very beginning to be the people who would bring light to the world, who would show the world the truth of God. But they were stiff-necked. And they rebelled against Him. And they put off what God would have for them. The vine, the olive, and the fig, all three saying, no, no, I have other things to do. And becoming self-focused and self-centered did not go out to the world the way God had originally invited Israel to do. What about the rest of the trees in this parable? You've got the vine, the olive, the fig, but there's a group of trees, obviously, and you've heard me already say, it's the nation's. The nations of the world. How do you know that? Well, Jesus said in Luke 21, verse 29, Behold the fig tree, speaking of Israel, and all the trees. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Ray Rimped in his book, A Season for All Time, one of my favorite books and a must-read, A Season for All Time, Ray shows something that's dramatic. He takes that one little verse, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. In Matthew, when Jesus is quoting, it's just, Behold the fig tree. But Luke catches something else that was said. In, in his research for his gospel, someone heard something else spoken by Jesus, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. There was something that was going to happen. Something that involved not just the fig tree itself, which we'll get back to in a moment, but involved all the trees, the nations of the world. Ray shows that in in the decade following the fall of the Soviet Union and communism in Eastern Europe, 27 new nations put forth their leaves. 27 nations. And more have sprouted up since then. From the time that Israel became a nation. After that time, and that was a miraculous moment in this generation... Suddenly, nations began sprouting up all over the place when you see the fig tree and all the trees. I believe that Yotham's parable speaks of the relationship between Israel and the nations. And check this out. The three aspects of Israel, that is vine, olive, and fig, also describe three time periods for Israel. Three time periods in Israel's history. Watch this. The first one, the vine, think about the vine, it expresses Israel 
before Christ's first coming. Israel is a people before Jesus came the first time. Turn in your Bibles now over to Isaiah chapter 5. Just right of the Proverbs, couple of couple of books. Isaiah chapter 5. Verse 1. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. <laughs> Just yesterday I was watching a, a recording I had from the show Huckabee where Mike Huckabee is uh, doing an interview with Benjamin Netanyahu. And he referred to the city on the hill. And Netanyahu said, Jerusalem is that city on a hill. I love the way Netanyahu talked. He has a deep voice. And if I listen too long, he might put me to sleep because it's just so... (laughs) But Jerusalem, the city on a hill. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. Verse 2. He dug around it, removed its stones, planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the middle of it. And also hewed out a wine vat in it. And then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more is there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. And it will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard, watch this, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. This is the story of Israel from its beginning to Jesus. A people who were called to be God's vineyard in the world, but rejected. And a people who ultimately fell apart. Who didn't produce the good grapes that God desired. Who didn't follow after Him the way He called them to. The story of Israel from its beginning until Jesus came. By the way, does that parable sound familiar? It should. Jesus told the same parable in Matthew 21. I won't have you turn there. You can if you'd like to. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But Matthew 21, 33 through 40, Jesus quotes directly out of Isaiah's parable and says the same one. But, but this time He explains the ending. He says, The owner of the vineyard went away. He sent two groups of slaves to receive his produce. But the slaves were stoned and beaten and killed by the vine growers. And then Jesus says, Matthew 21, 37, Afterward, He sent His Son to them, saying, They will respect My Son. But when the vine growers saw the Son, the Son who is Jesus, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? Now remember, the Son here in Jesus' parable is Jesus Himself. The vine growers are the Jewish leaders. The vineyard is the people of Israel. And that's where there's confusion. Especially among those who would replace Israel with the church. They'll point to that and they'll say, well see, he threw out the vine growers. Yeah, exactly. The leaders. But he did not throw out his vineyard. He threw out the vine growers. But the vineyard, the vineyard, will grow into a kingdom. The olive tree. The vine is a picture of Israel before Christ's first coming. The olive tree is a picture of Israel after Christ's second coming. The olive tree portrays Israel in the millennial kingdom. Well, where do you get that? Hosea chapter 14, verse 6. Of Israel, God said, His shoots will sprout, and His beauty will be like the olive tree, and His fragrance like the cedars of Lebanon. It will be wondrous. He will last. You know, the olive tree is one of the toughest trees in the world. I mean, it can live a long time. There are olive trees in Jerusalem 2,000 years old, probably there when Christ was there. 
And you can see that. And it's remarkable. These old gnarled trees, and they just keep hanging on. Kind of like the juice. You know? <laughs> Not the gnarled part. But they just keep hanging on. And they keep living. One of the things Netanyahu said in this interview, he said, he was asked, why is it that Americans have an affinity for Israel at all? And most Americans do, by the way. There is still a large percentage of Americans and our Congress who are very pro-Israel. And Israel, by the way, is wall-to-wall pro-American. But, what was I saying? <laughs> totally lost my train of thought. What Netanyahu said about... Oh, oh, what, why, why Americans love Israel? The reason, he said, is because Israel is just this symbol of hope. Because they were done and they came back. Because they were a people driven out of their land. They lost everything. They were dispersed throughout the entire earth. But they somehow had a language come back to life. And they regathered. And they came back into the land. And they tilled the soil. And they worked the land. And it is an amazing... Number one grower... I mentioned it's the number three producer of all fruit, exporter of all fruit in the world. It is the number one exporter of citrus in the entire world. And it's a remarkable story. And Americans, we can look at Israel and go, wow, there is hope. And you know, as Christians, that's exactly spot on. Because if God is faithful to the Jew, He will be faithful to you. If He's not faithful to the Jew, why should He be faithful to you? What makes us so special that we would think, well, Israel blew it, but we, <laughs> we get it all. You know, We get the promises, they get the curses. There's something wrong in that thinking. The vine, Israel before Christ's coming. The olive tree, Israel after Christ's second coming. And Paul said in Romans 11.24, if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and were grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? That is Israel grafted back in, once again, that olive tree picture of the coming kingdom. Before and after. The vine, the olive tree, the fig tree. What about the fig tree? The fig tree is Israel right now. The fig tree portrays, it shows Israel from the rejection of Christ to the return of Christ. Israel in that time period. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. Another parable for you. As you know, Jesus loved to teach in parables. Why? Because those who have faith will understand them. And because those who do not have faith and don't want to hear what God has to say won't get them and will just move right on by. Jesus wants you to understand. Luke 13, verse 6. He began telling them this parable. A man had a fig tree which he had planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? But he said, he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. A fig tree usually takes three years before it starts to produce fruit. So if you were to plant a fig tree today, plant on three years, roughly, before fruit begins to appear on the tree itself. But what's interesting about this parable, as Jesus tells it, is you don't normally plant a fig tree in the middle of a vineyard. It's a vineyard that that the tree is planted in. And that's an unusual place to plant a fig tree, except that the vineyard portray Israel. The vineyard portraying the ground, the land itself. And God's saying, I'm going to plant this fig tree right here. And don't forget, the fig tree is Israel from their rejection of Christ to the coming of Christ. What's the point? Well, this fig tree was special. This fig tree was chosen, planted in good ground, tended as preciously as a vineyard would be tended, Israel in the promised land. But it isn't bearing fruit. Right now, it is not bearing fruit. Oh, I understand physically. I'm talking about spiritually. Israel is yet to begin bearing fruit again as a nation, as a people. For three years, 
No fruitfulness. And the owner says, chop it down. But the keeper, the keeper is Jesus. The owner is God. Father and Son. And the keeper says, give it one more year. Give it one more year. Now, I I don't want you to bank on this. Anytime I give time frames for things, this is just kind of a supposition of of my own. Something that I've thought is is interesting to to consider. Uh, And you might think about three years. It takes three years for that fig tree to bear fruit. It doesn't bear fruit. Three years. Well, if each one of those years were representative... Again, just my surmise, if each year was represented in a thousand years, three years, a thousand years from Solomon, from David, from the beginning of the the real rise of Israel, a thousand years to Jesus, and two thousand years since Jesus. And truly, from the rise of the kingdom under David, the people of Israel, as the fig tree, did not produce the fruit God was looking for. They did not produce the fruit of faith in the world. They did not produce the fruit of followers after God that He called them to produce. And so suddenly we have this this rise of this beautiful fig tree and for 3,000 years, three years, perhaps, and at the end of the time, the Lord says, cut it down. What would that portray? Maybe the tribulation. And the keeper says, wait, give it another year. Give it a 1,000 years. Give it the millennial kingdom and let's see what happens. Give Israel the opportunity to receive all the promises of that thousand year reign of Christ. Well, wait a minute, Rick. If that's the case, three years and three thousand years and then one year be the millennial kingdom and we're sitting right there on the edge, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. It's <laughs> exactly what I'm saying. I could be wrong. And again, don't don't... Don't count on that. Don't say, well, Pastor Rick said three years, I'm just 3,000 years. I'm just wondering. I'm just thinking. I'm just saying. Perhaps. Give it one more year. But the picture, again, is of a fig tree not bearing fruit. What happens before a fig tree, in reality, begins to bear fruit? Before it starts to actually produce? Well, the branches become tender and leaves appear, little buds. And then, then comes the fruit. Turn over to Matthew 24. Verse 32. Jesus again speaking says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. The fig tree? Israel. Learn the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that He is near, right at the door. Remember Luke's take on this. When you see the fig tree and all the trees... When suddenly there is a growth of the trees, when suddenly the trees turn green, the branches get tender, the leaves appear. You know it's almost summer. In the same way, Jesus says, keep your eyes open. Because once you see that tree greening up, you know summertime is coming in the same way. When you see all these things, recognize He is near, right at the door. And I am not alone in believing absolutely that the miraculous birth of Israel as a nation, May 14, 1948, was the branch of the fig tree becoming tender, putting forth its leaves. Summertime. Summertime. The fig tree is about ready to produce fruit. And in the Song of Solomon, I love this verse, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines and the voice of the turtle dove, a picture of the Holy Spirit, has been heard in our land. The fig tree has ripened its figs And the vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. The fig tree has ripened its figs. 
Back in Proverbs 27.18, He who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit. And he who cares for his master will be honored. When Yotham cried that early parable, did he know what he was saying? When he described the vine and the fig and the olive tree, did he understand that that very parable graphically portrays what the nations of the world and the other trees will do? What's that? They will go after the bramble rather than tending the fig tree. They will chase down the bramble. They will appeal to the bramble and they will be consumed by it. September. And we've got this date coming up on Tuesday for America's economy. September is another difficult time, challenging time in history. September of 2011, the Palestinian Authority, in open league with Hamas, terrorist organization, will seek unilateral and unconditional statehood from the United Nations based on pre-1967 borders in Israel, which we've talked about. Shrinking Israel to an indefensible country nine miles wide, they will seek statehood without any conditions for peace. They're just going to go right over Israel's head to the United Nations, the shaking trees. The trees will look after the bramble. Are you saying the bramble's the PA, the Palestinian Authority? No, I'm just saying that the trees are going to go after that which burns them. And that which fries them. Curiously, uh, this week, Jordan just came out saying they will not support a unilateral Palestinian state. Which is odd. But also interesting because, and I'll throw this out for you prophecy students, Ezekiel 38 talks about a massive gathering of all these nations against Israel. And there are three nations that are not included in it. Egypt, Iraq, and Jordan. Every other Arab Middle East nation, including Turkey and and Russia, will come against Israel in what's called the Gog-Magog invasion. But Jordan's not part of it. Israel's next-door neighbor. And Jordan right now is saying, we won't support a Palestinian state in the United Nations. I thought that was curious. What's the big deal, Pastor? Who cares? I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, bummer for Israel, but what if they give up that land? The Palestinians are already there on the, the so-called West Bank anyway. They already have Gaza. Why not just call it what it is and, and let it be? Gang, the giving up of that land, I've shared before, includes Jerusalem. Specifically, East Jerusalem, ancient Jerusalem, where the Temple Mount and the old city stands today. So what? So turn in your Bibles over to Zechariah. Turn, turn, turn. (laughs) Zechariah, toward the end of the Old Testament. Chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. If your fingers are getting tired, this is the last turn for the morning. (laughs) Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 3. And listen to this. The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. The burden. This is heavy stuff. And it's not your burden. It's not my burden. It's not even Israel's burden. It is the Lord's burden. This is what burdens His heart. This is something that matters to Him in in an an amazing way. Verse 2, Thus declares the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within Him. Why does He give us all that? That's just to say how significant what He's about to say is. Alright? This is a burden on the heart of the Lord, the same God who spread the heavens, who created the earth, and who gives us life. This God is burdened with something very heavy, something of great concern. Verse 2, Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around, and when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. The siege? Yeah. The nation's coming up against Israel. It will come about in that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples and all who lift it will be severely injured. And listen, all listen, all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it and I don't hear an exception there. What does that mean, Rick? America? All the nations... What the Lord says, His burden, 
is a day is coming when all the nations of the world, all the trees that are currently under a tremendous amount of shaking, are going to gather against the vine, gather against the olive, gather against the fig tree. And God says, you mess with Jerusalem and I will mess with you. You divide Jerusalem and you are in serious trouble. Tending the fig tree. Tending the fig tree. This this just jumped out at me. Some of you probably aren't surprised, but Proverbs 27, 18, the second I saw, he who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit. I just went, wow. It was as if it was just highlighted and bold and shot off the page. Why? Why is tending the fig tree such a big deal? Listen, tending the fig tree is a national issue. It is a national issue for our country. And I hear all the time, we got to pray, we got to repent, we got to get back to the Lord. You know what we need to do as a country? We do need to pray. But part of that prayer must be for Israel. Our country needs to recognize the significance of Israel and the Jewish people. That's got to be part of the equation. We can repent all we want and try to turn ourselves back to God, but if we're ignoring something that matters so much to the Master, we are missing a major burden on the heart of the Lord. And note this, every nation in the history of the world, feel free to check me on this, every nation in the history of the world that has ever come up against Israel or tried to divide it has fallen. Everyone. Everyone has either been completely decimated or reduced to second nation status. But every nation that has tended the fig tree has enjoyed its fruit. Every nation that has cared about what the Master cares about. Just as the proverb says, just as God promised Abraham. Genesis 12, verse 2. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, some Christians say, well, that's just talking about Jesus Christ, you know. As the seed of Abraham... It's not talking about the nation of Israel as a people. To that I reply, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11. Don't skirt around that. Paul spends eight chapters in the book of Romans laying out this Christian manifesto. I mean, if you really want to understand kind of the, the workings of Christian faith, go to Romans 1 through 8. It's all there. Paul does a, a brilliant job of laying it out. But he doesn't stop at the end of chapter 8. After saying all of this about the church, about Christianity, he says, now, look to the Jews. You have come to Jesus in faith. You cannot be separated from His love for you. Now, look at Israel. Now consider the Jewish people. The promises God made to the Jews have been kept and will be kept. And if our nation, as a nation, would be blessed again, if we would somehow get beyond the date of August 2nd, we must tend the fig tree. We must tend the fig tree. Tending the fig tree is a national issue. But listen, those of you sitting there going, Great, but I'm not into politics and national stuff. This is a personal issue. Tending the fig tree is a personal issue. Psalm 122, verse 6 tells us, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, May peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Did you catch how the prayer began? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. You want to prosper? I'm not talking about, you know, faith movement, and I'm not talking about this whole idea of prosperity gospel. But if you would have a life that is prosperous, if you would eat of the fruit of the fig tree, you got to tend to the fig tree. You, personally, as an individual sitting in this barn this morning, are invited by Scripture, by the Lord Himself, to tend to the fig tree. Kind of like the Roman centurion. The Roman centurion, you remember the story, came to Jesus, and his servant was very sick to the point of death, and he came seeking healing. But what's interesting, Luke tells us, Luke chapter 7, verse 4, when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him. Someone came before the Roman centurion did. Someone came to Jesus 
on his behalf. Well, who was that? Jews. Jewish people came to Jesus. And they earnestly implored him, saying, He's worthy of you to grant this to him. Why? For he loves our nation, and it is he who built us our synagogue. You realize that at that point in Jesus' public ministry, he was not focused on, concerned about, or going to the Gentiles at all? All the way up until the 10th chapter of Matthew, we see Jesus focused on Israel and Israel alone. Even when he sends out his apostles in Matthew chapter 10, he says, don't go anywhere but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He would say several times early in his ministry, I have come for Israel. Even when Gentiles would ask for help, Jesus would say, I'm I'm, I'm here for Israel. That's how his ministry began. It wasn't until his rejection that then it went out to the Gentiles. It was Israel first. But this centurion loves our nation, they said, and he's built us our synagogue. And Jesus is so impressed with this guy who loves the people of Israel, who is tending to the fig tree, that he he grants the request. He heals the servant. Jesus is pleased. God is pleased with those who tend the fig tree. With those who have a concern for the people of Israel. The Roman centurion. There was another Roman centurion, by the way, who loved Israel, who cared about Israel, and was granted a great request. His name, Cornelius. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 verse 1 tells us there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. This Gentile loved Israel. And we're told at the beginning of the story he was a man who loved Israel and that's kind of the substance of where the story goes from there. You remember God calls on Peter. Peter at the time is in Joppa. He's up on the house of Simon the Tanner, a house, by the way, that's still there. And he's up on the rooftop praying and having his quiet time, his devotional. God lowers a sheet before him in a vision, and the sheet is filled with all kinds of animals, clean and unclean. And he says, rise, Peter, go kill and eat. The environmentalists would love that one. (laughs) Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter goes, no, 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 Father. I've never eaten anything unclean. And I've got my PETA card here somewhere. (laughs) And God says, three times, rise, Peter, go, kill and eat. And then as part of this vision, He says, "There's, there's a man I want you to go see. His name is Cornelius. I need you to go talk to him. Peter's like, okay. And off he goes. God sends him to this Gentile, this Roman centurion, who became the first, listen, the first non-Jew to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Up until then, it was all Jewish people who received the blessing of the Spirit of God. Cornelius is the first. What does Cornelius, this Roman centurion, and the other Roman centurion have in common? They both loved Israel. They were both tending to the fig tree, and God blessed them amazingly for it. Tending the fig tree is a national issue. Tending the fig tree is a personal issue. And I believe, and the longer I study this, the more convinced I am of it, I believe it is the business of every believer in Christ to tend some way or another to the fig tree. That is Israel. How do I do that? Hold hold on. Tending the fig tree, gang, is also an obligational issue. National, yes. Personal, absolutely. But it's an obligation of every believer. Why do you say that? We owe Israel. We owe them a great debt. Romans 15.27, Paul says, If the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them, Israel, in spiritual things, or in material things. If we've received spiritually from Israel, we should give materially to Israel. Have you been blessed by Israel in spiritual things? Have you, as a believer in Christ, received even one iota of a blessing from the Jewish people? Well, I don't think I've received it. Romans chapter 9, verse 4. To the Israelites belongs the adoption of sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom, listen, from whom is the Christ... According to flesh, who is overall God-blessed forever. Amen. If you can't think of a single reason 
Why Israel should be important to you, think of this. Jesus was a Jew. He came from Israel. That is His lineage, His line. They protected, provided, kept the Word of God for centuries. The very Word that we have been thumbing through this morning came because people in Israel were committed to the truth. Going word for word, counting letter by letter, the scribes were so exacting in the translations to be sure. And by the way, if there was a mistake made in the translation, a word misspelled, a letter misplaced, they didn't just scratch it out and keep going. They threw away the scroll and started over. That's how serious they were about keeping the word that you and I have in our hands. We owe a great debt to Israel. It's a national issue, a personal issue, an obligational issue. And number four, tending the fig tree is a Jesus issue. And you cannot get away from this. As we care for the fig tree, we care for the Master. As we tend the fig tree, not only do we eat its fruit, but we care for our Master. And the proverb says, we will be honored for that. It was a Jew born in that stable. It was a Jew who walked the shores of the Galilee and the waters of the Galilee as well. It was a Jew who died on that cross with a sign above his head, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And it was a Jew who said in Matthew 25.40, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, these brothers of mine, the Jewish people, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. If you care for Jesus at all, tend the fig tree. Tend the fig tree. I'm really concerned about this. August 2nd isn't D-Day. What do you mean? This country has already been defaulting on our obligations to Israel. We are already in a great debt. This same year that we have seen all of this trouble, our president has demanded a peace process that threatens to carve up and ultimately destroy the fig tree. He has opened the door, and I'm not trying to be anti-Obama or pro-anything. I'm just saying he has, in his policies, opened the door for the Palestinian Authority to be just cocky enough to say, Hey! We can go straight to the UN and bypass this whole process and be a nation recognized by the world and then we'll get Israel. By the way, you want to know why Jordan does not want to see the Palestinian state? Because the Palestinian charter seeks all of what was originally called Palestine, which includes Jordan. They want to go both ways. And Jordan knows it. And they are aware of it. Is it any wonder the Liberty Tree is not doing well? That it is shaking at its roots? I, I really wonder, and I, I don't mean to scare anyone or shake anyone's faith at all, because we are a c- citizens of another country. But I really wonder for the first time in my life if we as a nation are on the verge of falling. I see these things going on. And keep going back to Scripture to understand not man's view of it, not how to craft a bill that's going to make it through the Senate and get back to the House and then to the desk of the President in time, (laughs) the nail-biter. I'm concerned about what God is seeing here in this nation. I'm concerned about what God is seeing in my life personally. And I am concerned for the things God is concerned for, especially when it comes to Israel. I have been in my life, I have spent years defaulting on my debt to God's people. And I want to ask you all this morning, because we've talked about Israel many times. You know, I've, I've had people say, oh, another Israel message. It's another one about Israel. Oh, here goes Rick again. Boy, you talk about that a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to ask you, who will take a stand for Israel? But, but, but Rick, what can I do? Three things. Number one, be in prayer. 
It is the easiest and yet one of the most powerful things you personally, I'm talking about each one of you as individuals, what you can do is start today praying for the peace of Jerusalem. How do I do that, Rick? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. How hard is that? Don't read into it. Just do it. Lord, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now you're on your way. Pray. Be in prayer. Literally. Constantly. Next Saturday, August 6th. Uh, Governor Rick Perry in Texas, you probably have heard, has called for a national day of prayer and repentance and a day of fasting, and they're having a big deal in Texas where they're gathering around. Of course, the atheists are trying to stop it, which is funny because if they're truly atheists, why would they care? Let all the Christians gather there and waste their time. At least they won't be on the streets passing out tracts and trying to convert people, you know? Let them pray, because it does no good if they truly think so. So that's happening in Texas. I invite you to come to the barn at 10 o'clock next Saturday morning just for an hour. Meet here. If you have an hour to give that day, and we will pray. We'll just pray together. We'll pray for our nation. We'll pray as a fellowship. We will pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Be in prayer. Secondly, stay aware. Stay aware of what's happening with Israel. It is easy to do. Keep the radar up. It's called Google. It's easy to use. Get online. Watch what's happening. Pay attention. Maybe even set as a favorite page one of the Israel news sources. Why would I do that? So you're aware of what's happening. So your eyes are open to what's going on in Israel. Is it that important? Again, (laughs) yes. Be aware. Be in prayer. And number three, go there. Oh, okay. I was wondering when we were going to get to the sales pitch for the Israel trip. Listen. (laughs) Honey, I knew he was going to go there eventually. Go. There is still time to go on this trip. And you know what? I'm not just looking for bodies to fill the bus. We have enough. I'm going. The 27 who are signed up are going. It's a done deal. Oh, but it's so expensive. I honestly believe, I've said this before, I honestly believe that if you invest in it, you will receive a hundredfold over the investment. I'll get my money back, you'll get far better. Take the risk. Go for it. Be involved. Go there. See for yourself. Open your own eyes to what's going on on the ground. And beside the fact, you need to understand, when we go there, we say to the owner of the vineyard, the Lord. We say to the keeper of the vineyard, Jesus. And we say to the vineyard itself, the people, where Israel stands, we stand with her. I can't think of a better reason to go on vacation in the world. I can't think of a better excuse to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go on this trip. You see, truly, and and I know there there are selfish motivations, and I don't even mean that in a bad way. There's the motivation of going, I want to see where Jesus walked, and I want to be there. I want to go on the Sea of Galilee. Wow, I want to be in Jerusalem. I want to experience that. What a fantastic thing to do for me. I get that. That's why I went the first time. I keep going back. Because every time we set foot on the land, we as a church are saying, Lord, we care about what you care about. We are here to put our feet. You know, Les likes to use the phrase, put your foot on the land in prayer. So let's do it. We open the Word and study the Bible throughout the land. We pray throughout the land. Do you have ten days that you can give to personally tend the fig tree? I guarantee you, it says it speaks volumes to the Jewish people when Christians, evangelical Christians, show up unafraid of what the nations are doing and all they're shaking. When we show up and we say, We stand with you, we care about you, we're willing to come to prove that. If not you, who's going to stand up for Israel? Who's going to make that choice? Bridge Fellowship, who here among us will tend the fig tree? Because the promise is great. He who tends the fig tree will eat its fruit. He who cares for his master, he will be honored. Father, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem.
we lift up by name this morning the Jewish people, the people of the 12 tribes of Israel, the people who you have brought the greatest promises, Father, the greatest prosperity, the greatest innovation in this world has come from your people. We recognize, Father, this tiny little fig tree is surrounded by massive trees round about that are shaking, embroiled in their own troubles. Father, even this year, watching how some of the hostile nations against Israel are so caught up in their own messes they can't even pay attention right now to the fig tree. And Father, we care. We care about your people because you do. Because you called them. Because our salvation is connected to them. Having Jesus come out of the Jewish people, we know you have a burden for them, Father, so we pray that the burden would be on our hearts as well. Father, I pray that as a fellowship, we would not be able to bow without momentarily at least offering up a prayer for the peace of Jerusalem. And I pray, Father, may they prosper who love you, who love the land, who love your people. May they prosper who love Jerusalem. May there be great blessing, spiritually and otherwise, for all those who truly care to tend the fig tree. And Father, in all of this, while I am concerned, I am also excited. Because as I see the things going on that I see, I know that summertime is near. And I know that Jesus is going to come. But Lord, before you return, Jesus, before you come, I just pray for your people Israel that there will be a move of your Spirit and a great salvation as they come to know Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, their own Messiah, and our Savior as well. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.